Zechariah was a priest that lived during a time in which there was not much hope. Herod, the king of Judah, was a puppet for the Roman Empire. Israel was ruled by Rome, the foreign power. And Herod only made things worse for the Jewish people with his extravagant building projects that were funded by taxes for the Jewish people. Herod had blatant control of the temple and the high priesthood, which he used for his own political purposes. And he continually made efforts to to try and reform Jewish culture so that they would look and act less Jewish and more Hellenistic or Greek. So the political and the social setting during the time of Zechariah's ministry is one of struggle and tyranny. And with all of this going on around them, Elizabeth and Zechariah are unable to have children. Even though they are blameless before God, by now they are advanced in age past the years of childbearing. In the ancient world, to be barren was considered a divine curse. If you were barren, people would assume that you had done something wrong to deserve it. This is why Elizabeth says in verse 25 that God has taken away the disgrace that she has endured among her own people. At this point in their lives, Zechariah and Elizabeth do not have high expectations. And yet they remain faithful, blameless before God. Zechariah continues to administer his duties. And as while he is serving in the temple, doing his job, when everything in his life changes. Zechariah would have gone to Jerusalem for a week, twice a year, in order to serve in the temple. The priesthood was made up of 24 orders, and each order would serve at the temple on a rotating basis. And as a part of the daily routine in the temple, Torah called for incense offerings to be made before morning sacrifices and after the evening sacrifices. I imagine that the burning of incense would help cover up the smell of all the blood and guts and innards from the sacrifices. Aren't you happy that we don't do that anymore? We have like Christmas trees and beautiful things, but they had guts and stuff, so... (sighs) While everyone is outside praying... Zechariah is offering the incense when an angel of the Lord appears. At this point, Zechariah is absolutely terrified. This is not at all what he was expecting. The angel says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall name him John. 
course, this will be John the Baptist, the great prophet. Even though this is what Zechariah has been praying for, he responds in disbelief. The angel's words are not good enough for him. Zechariah says, how am I supposed to know that this is going to happen? I like the message translation that phrases the verse this way. Do you really expect me to believe this? I'm an old man. My wife is an old woman. On the one hand, Zachariah's disbelief seems quite rational. They're well past the childbearing years, and I imagine after many difficult years of trying and wanting to have children only to be disappointed again and again, this kind of news is unbelievable. It's risky, almost too hurtful to hope for. His wife is barren. And they're old, like really, really old. Doesn't his disbelief seem rational? On the other hand, is God always rational? And Zechariah is a priest in the Jewish faith. As a teacher of the scriptures, he would have been well aware of the story of Abraham and Sarah who were past childbearing years when God said to them, you're going to have kids. Because when God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Zechariah asks, how will I know this is so? That was the wrong thing to say. The angel responds, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. We remember Gabriel from the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, chapters 8 and 9. Gabriel is trusted by God to reveal divine mysteries to Daniel. And now he comes to Zechariah from the heavenly throne room. Gabriel is an archangel. A chief angel, God's personal servant, and he has been sent by God to deliver God's message. Zechariah asks, how will I know this is so? I am old. (laughs) My wife is old. He's asking for proof. And so Zechariah will give it. As a sign to show, excuse me, Gabriel will give it. And as a sign to show Zechariah that this is the real deal, Gabriel will make him mute. It's a sign, but it's also disciplinary. It's one of those, be careful what you wish for miracles, which are not my favorite kind. 
So Zechariah went home to Elizabeth, unable to speak. She conceives, and she gives credit to God. This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me. She says, Elizabeth gets it right. And after the child is born, there's a dispute about what to name the baby. Everyone thinks the baby should be named Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth says the baby is to be named John. Sadly, Elizabeth's words are not good enough in this culture, so they defer to Zechariah. And he writes on the tablet, his name is John. Immediately, Zechariah is able to speak, and the first thing he does is give praise to God. The name John means God is gracious. And John the Baptist will become all that Gabriel foretold. The Elijah-like prophet would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he will turn many people back to God. Specifically, Gabriel says John will turn hearts, the hearts of fathers, to their children. The NRSV says parents instead of fathers, but it's fathers. Interestingly, in ancient antiquity, fathers were known to be more strict than mothers, with reports of abuse and excessive cruelty to their own children. In some cases, the empire would need to intervene against especially severe fathers. John would be a prophet who calls men to a higher standard of fatherhood. Their hearts will be turned to their children. That applies to mothers as well. And Gabriel says, John will turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and make ready a people who are prepared for Jesus. You know, we don't often think about the level of influence of John the Baptist's ministry. When we study the Gospels, we tend to focus on the life and teaching of Jesus. Jesus is the bigger deal. But John's ministry sets the stage and it gets the people ready for the coming of Christ. As John will later say himself, the one who comes after me, I am not even fit to tie his shoes. In Luke's gospel, the birth of John and Jesus are woven together in the first two chapters. We hear an announcement about John, and then an announcement about Jesus, and then John is born, and then Jesus is born. The story jumps back and forth between these two families. God's redemptive project reaches into the most routine and common spaces of our lives. Family and work. Commenting on this Bible passage, Scholar N.T. Wright says, God regularly works through ordinary people doing what they normally do with a mixture of half faith and yet ready for whatever God has in mind. Sounds a lot like our last sermon series. Zechariah's miraculous encounter with the angel happens 
while Zechariah is doing his job. He's at work, faithfully doing his task. And he will be given the common job of fatherhood, which in this case includes special instructions for John's upbringing. The part about refraining from alcohol is referred to in the Old Testament as a Nazarite vow. Sometimes someone would be set apart for a special task and need to abstain from alcohol. This could be a lifetime vow, like such with Samuel or Samson, or it could be for a designated period of time. Priests, for example, were not supposed to drink alcohol while serving in the temple. That's a rule we still have at Mountain View. It's a good rule. And so John the Baptist will follow the footsteps of those who were set apart by God for a special task. But first, Zechariah and Elizabeth have the very normal, basic task of raising John to care for him, to feed him to teach him, to calm him down when he wakes up after a nightmare. It's interesting that a part of John's ministry is calling fathers to the hearts of their children. Repentance is faithfulness in the ordinary parts of life. Parenting. Showing up for work putting food on the table, caring for children and the young people in your life as you influence the next generation for the greater good, being faithful and respectful to your spouse, honoring your father and mother. It's doing the ordinary, daily things, school, family, work, with faithfulness, care, and love. All the while being ready. Advent is about eagerly waiting for God, being ready for whatever God has in mind, being ready for opportunities, for God's Spirit to bring hope or the gospel to you or through you. And Luke, there's a running theme of staying alert. Stephanie talked about it in the time with children, although from Mark's gospel. There's this theme of staying awake in your faith. Jesus tells a number of parables that stress the importance of being alert. It is so much easier to participate with what God is doing in this world when we are alert and awake in our faith, looking for opportunities. Last week, I spoke to a friend of mine who is a doctor. He gave me a call and asked for a prayer request. He, he had been performing surgery, and he got pricked with a needle from the patient. who uh, they, they, There was some concern that he might have hepatitis C. And so my friend was calling me and, and kind of saying, what do I, you know, I'm feeling really worried. I'm feeling really anxious. I want to, you know, I want to pray about this. And so we prayed, and I told him to read um, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about worry and anxiety. And my friend says, you know, that's so weird. I read that passage this morning in my devotions, but I'll read it again tonight. 
And he goes home and he read it. And the next morning, he's at work and he's performing surgery and he's talking about, a uh, nurse asks him how he's feeling about the whole getting pricked with the needle and he talks about how he was, he was doing much better with it and he wasn't, wasn't as anxious or worried about it. He, he talked about reading the Bible passage and how he had this friend who was a pastor and, and then this whole conversation opens up uh, while they have this person opened up on the table <laughs> and, and they start talking about what God is doing in his life and how he's, he's not worried about this. And one of the nurses comes up to him afterwards and she's got tears in her eyes and she says, I'm, I'm going through something really hard right now. I'm going through a divorce, and my life is, is crazy. But everything you said, it makes me believe in the power of prayer. So my friend who is just normally doing the routine, daily thing, in and out, is ready, looking for those moments where God can show up and do something miraculous in somebody's life and give them hope where there was none before. Zechariah, although faithful in his daily life, wasn't expecting God to do something. He wasn't looking for it. He wasn't ready for it. And he learns the hard way because of it. Don't learn the hard way. Don't miss out. This Advent season, cling to hope, which is one of our strongest weapons in this world. And be ready. Be ready. As you wait for God. Be ready for God to free you and use you according to his good purpose. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.